What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Moonlight Game Devs, the podcast for game developers share the story behind their games and the lessons learned with their fellow developers. Today, I'm to chat with Erdem and Koshi of Matt Studios, a Turkish games company that is creating hyper-casual games and working together with the massive publishing company Voodoo. They shared what it was like to work with Voodoo and a lot of interesting insights that they learned over time in creating quality hyper-casual games. Hope you guys learned a lot from this chat. I definitely learned a lot and enjoy the episode. What's up, Erdem and Goethe? Welcome to the show. Hey. <laughs> hey, Mark. I'm doing very well. How are you guys? You guys are in, in Turkey right now? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Istanbul. Yeah, me too, in Istanbul. How are you guys doing there with the COVID? <laughs> Uh, it's a little bit rough, actually, but uh, yeah, we manage, I guess. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear, guys. You are from France, right? Actually, I'm from I'm from Germany, man. That's where that's where I live as well. I just got a, a French name, but um, <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Where where in Germany, by the way? Uh, Dusseldorf. Are you aware of it? Ah, uh, no, no. My my brother lives in Berlin, so. I uh, asked uh, because of that. Man, Berlin is one of my favorite cities. I, I was thinking about moving there. <laughs> Maybe we should meet up. <laughs> That's really awesome. I love yeah, Berlin. He, he says it's cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you guys founded uh, Mad Studios, a hyper-casual games company. Um, but before we, we get more into that, I'm really excited to talk to you guys, but... Um, maybe you guys can give us like a, a background of, of kind of how you guys got started in, in game development. Uh, Erdem actually is my very old friend. We are uh, friends from uh, uh, high school, even middle school, I guess. Uh, so we were real old friends and we were gamers. I, I guess I started right from the beginning, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I forward this stuff. Uh, we were gamers. We really liked to play StarCraft, WarCraft, uh, Dota and everything. And actually, first thing we tried with Erdem was uh, a StarCraft fan page in uh, Turkey. We even uh, managed to uh, organize some tournaments and stuff. Uh, but whatever. Uh, then I, I uh, studied mechanical engineering, but I um, started with 3D modeling. And we found uh, Matt Studio with Bahadur. Actually, he's our third partner, by the way. He's not here right now, but it's good to mention his name, I guess. And uh, we started Matt Studio. We created 3D renders, actually, for uh, ad- advertisement uh, businesses, agencies. Then we, we were always see, seeing each other with Adam and we were always talking about making games, creating games. That was our dream, uh, actually, from the start, I guess. And Adam uh, is a developer. He will uh, introduce himself, of course. And then we started uh, trying out some uh, games in Map Studio. And I guess for two years, right, Adam, we created games or, or, one, or a year, maybe. We created games not knowing about IPCasual at all. Uh, so we couldn't uh, create something that was really successful. Uh, we liked the games we created, of course, but uh, they were not uh, successful money-wise, I guess. Uh, and then we met Voodoo. Actually, we contacted them uh, over a web page. Uh, maybe this stuff uh, we can talk about later. Erdem, uh, what about you? You were always a developer, right? Uh, yeah, uh, ever since I uh, graduated from college, uh, I... I think I looked up some books or something for it, but uh, I became an uh, iOS developer uh, for, I don't know, for some years. And uh, since I was already an uh, iOS developer, it was uh, it made sense to, okay, maybe I could ma- 
uh, make some mobile games. And uh, when we had the opportunity uh, to work with Gökçe, we dived into Unity and uh, here we are, I guess. So were you guys always uh, entrepreneurial, like self-employed? Mostly. Yeah, Erdem is actually, right? Uh, but uh, for me, I uh, I was an educator in uh, a private school, like something. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, Bilge, uh, there, there's a uh, private school called Bilgadam in Turkey, and I started teaching that 3D modeling. Uh, but that was short, just beginning of my career. Then uh, we did ent- entrepreneurship stuff. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your guys' background. It's really interesting. Um, I want to kind of dive into like the the beginnings there, where you guys were kind of creating games and they weren't very successful. Uh, was it kind of um, you know how did you guys get started with that? As in um, how was your guys' kind of first game ideas? Were they already hyper-casual mobile or did you guys try different things before that? Uh, they were mobile games. I mean, we didn't even know about the word hyper-casual uh, back then, but <laughs> yeah. um, they were uh, like, uh, there's a game called Jetpack Joyride, for example. Uh, we um, looked at it a lot. We uh, loved playing it. Uh, and uh, it uh, looked really uh, nice uh, design-wise. So I think we, for example, emulated that. And and at first, uh, I think like in most crafts, we just uh, kind of, okay, let's do something uh, we think like a game. You know, uh, we don't have, we didn't have a really good strategy of how we will market it. We'll, we just made it and released it and... Oh, of course, nobody's playing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's pretty classic. Yeah. Do you think, like, nowadays... Um, so do you guys think that the problem with those games was just the, the marketing, as in the kind of marketing budget? Like, we all know nowadays that if you're... Uh, like you guys, you know, a smaller studio, just creating the games, you need a big budget. You need to work with the bigger publishers to really even have a chance at getting a successful game. But... Do you guys think it was the, um, you know, also big part in the hyper casual scene is the the CPI, so kind of the marketability. You know, how much does it cost? Is the game marketable? Do you guys think um, it was just the budget that was missing, or was it already you guys didn't really have, um, you know, a good idea of what was actually a marketable game and, and how you kind of create them? I think, uh, yeah, we didn't have any budget for marketing. That's that's the first thing. But I don't think the problem was uh, the budget or uh, the marketing budget. Uh, It was more like uh, the conceptual ideas. We didn't know uh, what CPI is, for example. And uh, so we just uh, did a game that we enjoyed, created the game we enjoyed, and uh, we didn't uh, even think about marketing it, I guess, back then. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't have a, a full... Um, product vision, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We just made it okay. I mean, that's that's kind of necessary at the start because at the start you are just learning uh, about Unity uh, and yeah. in game de- development in general. Uh, but um, it's like uh, we didn't uh, have a winning plan at all. Yeah, but I guess the right thing we did was to. Um, be able to support ourselves during this period. So we, uh, the strength uh, of our um, business plan was that, I guess. We had a lot of time in our hands. Uh, we started and we uh, like thought we will learn along the way, I guess. And uh, that happened. 
and uh, thanks to that, uh, we were able to um, catch up to the hyper casual trend. So you guys were kind of you kind of guys kind of accounted for for needing to actually learn and and, and figure things out. So did you guys um, do like work on the side to like work for hire to basically finance that early stage of, of your guys' uh, startup or? You know, did you guys use your savings to kind of kind of keep the company afloat while you were doing all the games full time, or how was that? I think it was a mixed. At first, I wasn't working full time with uh, Mat Studio, for example. I was doing some freelance things on the side, so that yeah. helped a bit. But uh, over time, uh, those uh, type of opportunities. Uh, I started not to take uh, when we started getting more and more involved. And uh, Bahadur and Gökçe were sup- uh, supporting me uh, and they were doing uh, other stuff. Mm. Uh, we were working uh, very hard on the uh, 3D rendering visualization stuff. Bahadur is a photographer, by the way. Yeah, so uh, the map studio was uh, his idea, his vision uh, at first uh, for ad- uh, agencies and stuff. We were doing that uh, at the time. And I also taught in the uh, colleges, by the way. I always uh, taught 3D modeling on the site. Not anymore, but back then I was. Okay, okay. How long did you guys spend in that sort of experimentation phase? And uh, when was the point where you guys eventually, you know, started figuring things out uh, and things kind of started working for you guys in the in the games um, sector as well? Uh, I think it started with uh, when we uh, found uh, Voodoo and uh, they had uh, an actual uh, plan of uh, how to um, construct prototypes and uh, what we need in those. So uh, before that, I mean, it was like uh, one or two years and maybe something like that, right, Gökçe? Yeah, yeah, one, one and a half year, I guess, but... I guess so. Uh, I, uh, by the way, it would be good to mention uh, Chalta's name in here. Uh, we have uh, we have a co- um, friend. Uh, we both know him, and uh, he told us about Voodoo. Uh, he told us about a friend that works with Voodoo actually. Oh. And then we just opened up their web page and just sent an email, right? <laughs> and then uh, they, yeah. They, yeah, they got back to us, so it was very exciting back then. And uh, they uh, gave us an. Uh, account in their dashboard and uh, we had meetings with them and uh, they have a lot of videos in their dashboard and those videos uh, helped us a lot uh, with how to make uh, the type of games uh, that can be marketed by them. Yeah. So yeah, Voodoo is kind of infamous. They have like their developer resources. What 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 year was that? Um that you guys actually met up with with Voodoo and, and was it was it after the 200 million I think Goldman Sachs round or was it a lot earlier earlier than that where they raised like a bunch of money 2018 maybe late 17 I'm not sure I'm not sure either but it's about uh, about that area okay so so yeah tell us about you know you guys get the get the the resources there where you kind of learn about you know how Voodoo goes about creating their games you know, what's the, what's the first thing you guys try out and, you know, how does it, how does it, how does it work for you guys? Uh, we were uh, really uh, lucky in that aspect, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, we, have, um, we first uh, tried the games we already made. We sa- made some uh, adjustments to them, but uh, they didn't work. Uh, uh, but 
the first uh, prototype that we tried uh, after uh, we uh, learned about their uh, process. It was called Dodgeball Neon at the time. Uh, and uh, that had a good CPI, a uh, good retention, so that worked. And uh, it uh, didn't exactly launch, it didn't confirm, but uh, it had a soft launch. And uh, it was, I mean, I don't think it as a success for them, but uh, for us, it was a big deal, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so they, they tried it out. They said, um, you know, it wasn't quite, the, the, the LTV wasn't quite big enough, but you know, you guys saw that there was, you guys were able to create games that people wanted to play and, and were kind of low CPI and had actually resonated with, with the audience kind of, is that kind of safe to say? Kinda. The game we made was uh, very um, masculine, as they say. <laughs> uh, so it had a limited uh, audience, uh, so it didn't scale uh, that well. Uh, so it didn't uh, hit the target uh, they want. They want uh, everybody to play it. Uh, but uh, even if uh, everybody doesn't play it, enough people played that we <laughs> made some profit. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a nice profit for us. Like we we understood that there's a uh, there's a, a future in this business for us at least. Right, I understand. I understand. Was it was it like? What, did you guys think about you know maybe if Voodoo doesn't um, like this game, but we think it's great? Um, was there ever a thought of maybe taking it to uh, another publisher who might have who might have wanted it, or is that something that you can actually can actually do? Um, once you're with Voodoo? You can actually do it, but uh, in this case, Dodgeball Neon's case, uh, it uh, got confirmed uh, up to a certain level. It's not, it wasn't like, uh, uh, like it, it, it doesn't, they didn't say that it doesn't work at all. Uh, so uh, it was a soft launch kind of thing. So we didn't think yeah. of taking it to another publisher, but you can do it uh, if that's the question. Uh, with Voodoo, there's a there are certain rules, of course, uh, for that. I guess, I guess uh, it's a little bit weird for me to tell them right now, but uh, you can do it if you, if they say that they uh, the game doesn't meet their KPIs, you can take it to another publisher. Yeah, they're not. Uh, it's not like they are going to sabotage you if um, they're not going to work on the prototype you want to. I mean, uh, they're not obviously happy about happy they wouldn't be happy about it, I guess, because they would think that you are wasting your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's not like uh, they uh, uh, are buses or something. I think one of the, the concerns um, that like a lot of developers have maybe um, is that they're not sure if they can just submit their game to Voodoo um, and like, you know, what, what is actually going to happen? Are they... You know what stops Voodoo from you know not just taking the game and publishing it under their name, but for, from what it seemed like you guys actually had it that you guys were kind of Voodoo. You send Voodoo an email and they kind of invited you in, and then you guys started kind of cooperating with them. Is that kind of safe to say? Yeah, yeah. But I guess they uh, maybe I, I'm not really sure, but maybe if there's a game they like, uh, I guess they contact with the uh, developers as well. But that didn't happen to us. So that's interesting. I, I never knew that you didn't even even need a game to to work with Voodoo. That's that's really cool. actually that's that's. I guess we told it a little bit wrong. Like we had three uh, 
two or three games in our hands. Um, actually, two games, I guess. And we sent, uh, they sold the games, they played the games, and they liked the, uh, our approach to this thing, like uh, game creating games. So they wanted to uh, work with us. I guess with Voodoo, they uh, try to find studios they can work with uh, for a long time. Uh, they, that's their strategy, in my opinion. Right. So having having a good portfolio is, is kind of the key. I guess yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 weren't empty-handed. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, they weren't. Uh, uh, I don't think uh, they thought that okay, this will one hundred percent work. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there was enough promise uh, in that they wanted to continue working with us. Eventually, um, I assume that you guys, well, I, I know I saw, for example, uh, you know, the game I played, Crop Masters, uh, has like over a million downloads uh, on the Play Store, at least, or maybe more iOS, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. So I was published under Voodoo as well. So, uh, you know, that, co- that collaboration with, with Voodoo for you guys um, continued. How did you guys kind of evolve your your um, game design approach or development approach over time with creating those early prototypes? How has that kind of changed and what was some of the biggest things that you guys learned? Uh, I think we started being um, more agile and we uh, spent uh, less time uh, making the prototype. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, the, f- the first few games we make, uh, we started from the uh, i mean we polished it uh, to unreasonable uh, extent <laughs> i think we <laughs> spent too much time on it uh, i mean uh, i think uh, for example uh, there is a, a game called captain kaplov uh, it was the first game we made and we uh, for example uh, explored the 3D audio stuff uh, so we could make Doppler uh, audio effects when oh. uh, <laughs> style uh, went past us. So we started uh, not uh, spending time on that kind of stuff and just uh, making the uh, bare minimum uh, to complete a prototype and see where it goes. Yeah, I guess the, the test we made, made was like if the gameplay is uh, fun or not, like you need to know about that before you implement crazy stuff, I guess. So, and this is particularly interesting for me as well, because I'm actually building a hypercache right now. And I'm kind of at that point where I'm really curious to find out, you know, when, when do I want to um, say, okay, this is, this is, uh, this prototype is done because I don't want to, uh, like you guys said, I think it's important to, to, to cut a line as in how much do you want to polish it? But, um, I think a lot of game developers, or really, like you said, you get stuck with things that are not that important. But even when you're really aware of trying to get the prototype out as fast as possible, I think you always have that concern of, you know, um, if I don't polish it to this degree, you know, when can I say that that's really going to affect the CPI and the other KPIs that you're looking for? Um, what is the kind of model for you guys? Like, let's take, for example, a game like Crowd Masters. When did you get, what did the prototype look like versus, um, you know, now? Can you guys talk, walk us through that? Oh, well, the Crowdmaster used to look uh, a lot different and uh, yeah. a lot. I mean, it was a diff- almost a different game altogether. We just pivoted until uh, we it made sense, I guess. Uh, yeah. It was more like, uh, have you played Roller Splat? I don't think I have, no. Tom, Mask of the Tomb, I guess. That's the game. 
Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomb of the Mask or something. Tomb yeah. of the Mask. Yeah. Did you play that? Um, I don't think so. Can you explain the mechanic? Like, I guess the usually the mechanics are quite easy to explain, even for audio. But uh, right? yeah, it's like um, uh, the player is on a grid, and uh, on this grid uh, there are uh, various enemies, and you can only uh, order your character to go up, down, left, or right. The swipe. Uh, just, yeah, just uh, straight with with a swipe. And uh, when you swipe left, for example, the character just flies uh, left and he, uh, he uh, doesn't stop until it hits an enemy or until the end of the board. It's a small grid. Uh, so it's like, a, uh, so you try to chain um, your swipe so that you could uh, defeat all the enemies in uh, one smooth motion i guess right so it's uh, it was more like a puzzleish uh, turn based uh, that kind of a thing uh, so we made it uh, and at the beginning uh, there were no characters there were only cubes <laughs> <laughs> and between i guess between the two prototypes yeah, adam you uh, were experimenting with free uh, joystick move stuff right Uh, yeah, at first I uh, started trying um, a more of a slingshot control, so you could uh, aim the character uh, at uh, groups of enemies, and uh, when you release the uh, controls, it just uh, makes a huge attack. Uh, but um, the our publishing manager suggested uh, a different uh, kind of a control. Uh, the It's almost the control uh, we have right now, where you could move freely and uh, make uh, swipes to attack. And we kind of combined it with uh, the charging attack, and that's the most of the uh, control stuff completed. Uh, I guess back to your uh, first original question, uh, the, the real question you should ask uh, yourself is, or uh, people around you, is if uh, the core gameplay is fun or not. Like, uh, you need to uh, figure out a uh, satisfying and, uh, like, long-time-played uh, core mechanic, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I I really agree with that. The core mechanic has to be really good. And uh, our experience with uh, this game and previous games uh, has taught that uh, many of the things we do to uh, polish the... Uh, game didn't uh, have any changes at all yeah. in some cases it made it worse it made it worse uh, uh, more slower yeah, yeah. Uh, less clear uh, a lot of the things uh, that are uh, taught as, as natural in um, more uh, traditional uh, game development uh, doesn't work in hyper casual I guess initially people, uh, we think, uh, as developers, we think when you make the game a little bit harder, it's a little bit more interesting. Uh, or when you increase the things, uh, people, players need to figure out. Uh, it makes it more interesting, but it doesn't. It, uh, you, you just have to nail the core gameplay and then you build on that. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, so the, the the publishing manager there that support you guys is that someone from was that someone from Voodoo right? Yeah. Interesting. Um, did you guys like? Okay, so once you guys had that um, 
core gameplay mechanic, or I might even go back from there. Did you guys um, decide upon the core gameplay mechanic based on kind of intuition, like, or, or I guess the, the publishing manager or people from Voodoo kind of looking over it and saying, you know, we really like this or friends saying they really like it, or did you actually have like play testers playing it, um, you know, having a soft launch or something like that? Um, can you walk us through like those kind of steps? Like when did you actually have put the game into the hands of, of real players? We didn't um, run uh, that kind of a big tests. Uh, we just uh, played it ourselves, uh, our friends, and um, the publishing managers uh, are really experienced with that. They have a good sense uh, about uh, what will work. And we at the start, we make as... as I mean, we do run a test, but it's uh, it's not... Uh, we don't uh, have the opportunity with to speak with them, you know, just a small uh, Facebook ads and we see the retention and we see API. And if uh, that is, those numbers are good, uh, we know that we have something promising. I think one thing about, about polishing also is, is um, you know, bef- there, even when you have kind of a core mechanic, like you guys said, um, I think it's really important to say it again, that you really need to nail the kind of core gameplay, but even then there's kind of a rabbit hole in that you can polish the UI forever and you can add different levels and stuff for forever, basically. Um, and I saw you guys, for example, for that game, you guys added actually like a pretty cool uh, progression system with different unique weapons and stuff like that. Thanks. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> when, do you, when do you guys um, kind of um, decide, you know, or at least before for the first launch, how far do you guys do you go with that? Like it's in hyper casual, adding the different um, progression things and, and polishing the, the the look and feel of the game, or or is it something you just do in a kind of agile way as you're looking for what the player what the numbers are saying? I guess uh, it's like Adam said, you should uh, usually do small tests and uh, see uh, what what you make works or not. And uh, I guess uh, at the point it doesn't work. Uh, you don't dig anymore, I guess, uh, that area. Uh, but uh, testing always is the uh, thing uh, you should do in hyper-casual, I guess, uh, A-B tests and everything uh, with videos and uh, with the gameplay as well. Add videos. For example, uh, weapons um, came much later in the development. Uh, we yeah. uh, made the um, soft launch, I guess. For example, we A-B tested that. Uh, and if it didn't perform better uh, than the control, we wouldn't have uh, allowed it to be uh, in the uh, main version. After some point, we uh, add every feature like that. We test it. We see if uh, it performs better. And if it doesn't, uh, it, maybe we do some uh, adjustments to it and uh, probably we don't. We just try something else. Yeah, I guess uh, working with a publisher, uh, a professional publisher, is uh, the benefit of it is mostly this workflow. You you find about this workflow, how to put uh, new uh, things in, into the game, and uh, the things you are asking actually. Would do help us uh, with that a lot? I guess uh, they share their workflow, uh, how you can uh, make a game uh, more fun or more sticky. Uh, those type of things. And uh, they uh, can be less emotional than us. Uh, for yeah, example, yeah. we sometimes uh, get attached to uh, specific f- features 
and uh, we want to make it work, but it doesn't work. Uh, and they uh, help us. Okay, this is not working. Let's try uh, something else. Uh, maybe we would be too stubborn uh, about uh, something that doesn't work. And by the way, uh, by time I guess we learn to trust the numbers. At first, you, you are so emotionally attached that you're always like, "There, there must be something wrong with these numbers and stuff." But uh, <laughs> by time you understand that, yeah, that's the real thing you need to go for the numbers. I guess not the emotion. Yeah. For example, uh, this is a. A really recent example, we uh, tried uh, testing a, uh, A-B testing quests in the game. Uh, for example, uh, you can uh, defeat enemies with a specific weapon, I don't know, 50 times. You get a coin reward for that. Uh, I thought that it was uh, absolutely going to work. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, hmm. At least for now, it doesn't. Uh, maybe in the future, we could make some adjustments to it. But uh, uh, what the numbers tells us that uh, we should dig somewhere else. That's super interesting. Um, I I know that people do a lot of A/B testing with with ads, like especially Voodoo is famous for for just having you know thousands of like variants of the same ad. But you actually have like is it's actually I didn't even know that it was actually possible to kind of A/B test within the app. Is is what I'm assuming you guys are saying. So that some some users have a different version of the of the app. Um, is that through like a Unity AP test system or how are you guys doing that? It's uh, not specific to Unity, uh, but uh, it's, um, I mean, I think anybody can replicate the if uh, the effect and what it does is we just, uh, like you said, a, a certain uh, percentage of people uh, are playing with different features and uh, we see the results, but uh, it's uh, to do with the, uh, software uh, would uh, have us with right yeah okay i didn't even i didn't even know that yeah but there there, there are public uh, web pages uh, as well that you can do this in uh, yeah and and they don't uh, start uh, they don't try it uh, after uh, they only do that after a certain point in development uh, for example like i said the weapons for for example was among the first thing uh, we uh, we tested uh, I mean, even before um, uh, the weapons, uh, the game was promising. Oh, that's that's super interesting. Uh, yeah, but it makes perfect sense, and, and yeah, it's super smart. <laughs> um, it's just uh, just incredible how how crazy and, and like how good some of the adjustments you can make nowadays with the kind of free to play, especially in hyper casual. You you can just find out all these interesting data points about your game and really improve it that way. Um, yeah. Really interesting. Um, one question that that also came to my mind is, and kind of, um, I guess you guys also answered to a large portion, but um, how much of the sort of experimentation workload is done by you guys versus versus Voodoo? Do you guys actually um, develop your, you know, do a lot of the UA yourself as in you guys get maybe like a budget from Voodoo to, to do the creatives or use your own budget? And then, um, you know, you're saying this works and then tell Voodoo or show them the data and tell them and then they do some stuff or is it kind of they do everything, they do all the analytics um, and the UA. I would just kind of like to see, love to see how that part of the business is kind of split and the workload there between the developer and the publisher. Uh, for the uh, most, almost, uh, uh, almost totally, uh, they are uh, doing the UA 
um, uh, they are uh, in charge of the budget. Uh, uh, but we uh, help with uh, uh, making videos. But I think that's uh, kind of uh, subject to change uh, from uh, game to game. You know, I mean, they'll always welcome uh, when you, okay, could we try this video uh, for that? Uh, but uh, for example, if uh, it was a, you know, more mass market game, uh, I think uh, maybe uh, they would be more hands-on with it. I guess they have an agile uh, working uh, style with that as well. Uh, it's dif- it differs uh, for different studios, in my opinion. I want to kind of talk about, like, I guess something that a lot of people are talking about who want to get in hyper casual or in hyper casual, and that's kind of how you guys, I guess, see the the future of it as well. Because there's a lot of people saying they've been saying this for a while. It's always kind of the same people who are saying, you know, it's it's not really that sustainable the kind of industry as it gets more competitive and, you know, the pricing for ads uh, gets more expensive and stuff like that. And people are saying that there's kind of be kind of like a shift back to having games that really retain players for, I guess, a longer time and, and try to make money with, with IAPs and things like that. So I kind of want to know your guys's um, opinion as a smaller studio in the hyper casual space. What do you guys see yourself doing maybe in like five years, if you can kind of give us an idea and if you guys are already kind of thinking about that and if it's something that concerns you or if your opinion is kind of, you know, uh, just it'll like, you know, if you really think that's a concern and, and just going to keep kind of doing the things that, that have worked for you guys over the past years. I guess we don't think uh, of working uh, like that. I, I, I Maybe Adam has a different answer for this, but... Uh, I never asked, like, where do I see myself in five years? I guess th- this is what we are uh, having fun to do right now. And uh, so we are uh, doing this. Uh, in five years, I don't know, uh, maybe uh, maybe I- I'm going to create a music album. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's my dream, at least. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, uh, the, uh, the real question, back to the real question, the hypercasual, Think, I guess, yeah, everybody's looking for the answer for this question, I guess. But uh, the, I think that, yeah, more casual-like games uh, are more successful in hyper-casual uh, genre right now, uh, in my opinion. I, I'm not really sure, but... Uh, so I guess the market is going that way. The games that retain uh, more uh, will work better uh, in the future. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, I guess, not a... A big problem because people will keep playing games and uh, some developers will create games. Uh, I guess that's the way I think. What do you think, Adam? I mean, uh, it doesn't worry me in that uh, at uh, the worst case scenario is uh, we just uh, made one more game, you know, <laughs> uh, hyper casual. That game uh, it took us at most a month or something like that, you know, as the. Um, you know, hyper-casual is not just a genre, it's a um, uh, type of production uh, of yeah. games. Uh, and it is very agile, so with that agility, okay, if we, we can say that this is not working, so let's try something else. And uh, we've uh, learned uh, a lot about Unity, game development, um, maybe a, an idea of uh, how to market a game. Uh, having a game plan, uh, that kind of thing. Um, about the, uh, where the hyper casual trend is going, 
I'm not sure if it's going away and maybe it will shrink uh, some more. And I think there will be uh, at least some form of opportunity within the hyper casual markets uh, still in uh, five years. Yeah, I actually agree with you. <laughs> um, I think that 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 uh, kind of the ad, agile working style is, is just so advantageous over making taking a really long time to make a game, yeah. and also that just to, you know, hyper casual is pretty much the only type of game that I even play these days. Because <laughs> between working my full time job and working uh, on my game, it's like there's not, not that much time if I also want to have a social life. So. You know, the type of game that they that hyper casual creates are just very convenient for people like me or other people that are very busy and you know it's just a great I think it really fit, fit, it fits into the market really well if, if that makes sense so yeah thanks so much guys for for coming on to the show I guess uh, for sharing all that really useful and, and interesting information uh, where can people like check out your games and, and find out more about you guys uh, I guess mattstudio.com and you can uh, maybe we can share uh, our uh, Instagram and Facebook uh, pages with you. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be in the uh, in the show notes for any uh, listener. Uh, th- uh, this was really fun for us as well, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting us, by the way. <laughs> no problem. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider leaving a review and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to. For more game development content, head on to moonlightgamedevs.com. I hope you have a great week and join me for the next episode.